0: You're listening to Catholic Chicago Week in Review on Relevant Radio, 950 a.m. and 930 a.m. During the next hour, the Archdiocese of Chicago brings you conversation about the people, events, and issues that touch our lives. Welcome to Catholic Chicago Week in Review.
1: Good morning. I'm Jim Dish with the Archdiocese of Chicago's radio TV office, joining you on Relevant Radio, 950 and 930 a.m. Every Saturday morning, we bring you highlights of our Catholic Chicago radio programs that air throughout the week. Our broadcast week began with Catholic Conference of Illinois Executive Director Bob Gilligan talking with Jill Rowe from the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops about an initiative for the 2020 election year.
2: Jill, thanks for taking some time uh, and joining us this morning. And I I know you've been Working on this for a while, but if you could just tell us a little bit about um, the document. um, I think it's called Civilize It, correct? Uh, Dignity uh, Beyond the Debate. Tell us a little bit about the document and what the intended purpose of it is.
3: Yeah, so Civilize it, Dignity Beyond the Debate is the name of an initiative that the USCCB has launched during election season. We we launched it uh, on November 3rd, 2019, about a year before the, uh, the presidential elections. And it's an initiative that invites Catholics to model civility, love for neighbor, and respectful dialogue during the 2020 election season. So we are inviting Catholics to uh, pledge to civility, clarity, and compassion. There is a, um, an actual pledge form that persons can participate in online, and there's um, a whole bunch of accompanying resources that can help them as well as they seek to implement civility in their parishes and their families and their, their dioceses, workplaces, wherever they, they are engaging. You know, I think this
2: is kind of one of those things where I—, I, I... I'm going to go on a limb here, but I don't think there's many Catholics that are, are, are I'll term it, uncivil in terms of their approach to politics, that kind of thing. I'm sure they're out there. There's probably a few. But I'd assume that what we're trying to do here is introduce, like, a modeled behavior um, in terms of when people see that, uh, they'll react to that and hopefully model that good behavior in public dialogue. Um, is, is that some of the thinking that went into this in terms of what what we're hoping to accomplish? English
3: Right. Yeah. So on um, on the one hand, we do want to try and model the type of behavior that we want to see right. in, um, in in public engagement, um, but th- there is also a kind of an internal piece of that. It's it's an invitation, really, for Catholics to examine their own hearts. Um, maybe their outward words are not um, you know suggesting incivility, but um, you know, yeah. think for example about um, you know what you decide to um, like or share on social media, or what oh. is your internal conversation that you have in your own heart and mind about people sure. that you disagree with. Um, you know, would you repeat aloud to Jesus what you think or say about others? Um, you know, maybe in the privacy of a, of a conversation you're having, um, you know, are you truly trying to listen and understand, um, or, or do we sort of um, put those that we see as our opponents in a box and decide that we are not going to engage with them, or that when we engage, it's going to be talking about um, what they believe and why we disagree, instead of truly Trying to encounter and understand.
4: You know that's a good
2: point. I I, I just know personally that um, I uh, I'd like to think that you know most of the time when you're talking to somebody, even when you disagree with them, I think by and large for the most part m- most of us are are civil in that conversation. But I, I recently in those conversations, even if you disagree with somebody, um, I recently though made a kind of a commitment, sort of the new year's to. to I have shunned Twitter. I just didn't want to do it. I just thought it was too much and and I've I've changed my opinion about that a little bit because everybody a, a lot of people are on it a lot of lawmakers are on it and so I find it helpful to follow people uh lawmakers other interest groups to hear what they're saying and it's interesting in that my first couple of weeks in this is man Twitter and social media mm-hmm. <laughs> is really brutal and you talk about engaging people uh and try in a civilized way uh on Twitter and social media is really difficult Mm -hmm. and and to get somebody's attention and, and you're trying to persuade without getting into the gutter. That's, that's tough.
3: Right, yeah, and so social media would be a great example of, you know, how, how can we um, really take as our leading approach the dignity of others, even when we absolutely may disagree with their perspectives. Um, I, I think there's other, you know, um, very practical avenues that Catholics consider as well, you know, um, are people part of, like, a neighborhood listserv that, yeah. you know, can sometimes get a little bit tense and, and not always use respectful. you know, and how can we in, be invitational and invite the conversation to always be respectful of others' dignity and presume their good intentions so that we can actually engage in a conversation and identify what common values may be um, as, a, as a way to, to really be productive in that engagement instead of just demonizing the other. Uh,
2: you know, it's funny you mention Neighborhood Listserv because I just got out one recently. I I, never, I rarely respond to that thing, but uh, legalization of marijuana has come to Illinois, and mm-hmm. there was a posting in our little neighborhood thing about it. There was a, a community forum from people who are influential and, you know, they want to answer questions, that kind of thing. And being the brilliant person that I am not, uh, I responded. I was the first one. Um, two months later, <laughs> that conversation is still going on. And it was amazing. And, and I am new to this and, you know, it's funny. I'd never heard the term. Okay. Boomer until I, engaged in this. And everything I tried to say was factual. I tried to stick to facts and... And personal experience, and never go beyond that. But I am telling you, the names I got called, and the things I got called, it was amazing. I had never. I was like, okay, this is this is this is going to be tough. Um, so perhaps I should look at your your, your materials because, boy, it's tempting. It's really tempting when people start calling you names and and they say things about you that are just pl- blatantly untrue, okay. and you have no idea what they're talking about. So I, I've been through that. Uh, mm-hmm. But you know, it's funny. Like I I, I kind of held my ground, and I just didn't want to back off, and 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 I just kind of try to keep the dialogue going in a civil way but you know what's interesting about that I had a lot of people who sent me personal messages they didn't do it in the listserv but they were they were very complimentary so I guess what I'm saying is it can be done it doesn't seem like maybe you're reaching people that the first temptation is to kind of go into that gutter but if you can avoid it I think you do gain respect
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, I find that, and, and this is reflected in our resources, um, that one one thing that really does help is to try to be able to lay down some groundwork, um, a framework for um, how engagement will be, whether it's you know on your list serve or in a family conversation or a, a parish wide opportunity that you may offer for for people to engage civilly. Um, the three uh, um, kind of points that we're asking people to commit to, um, if I if, if it's okay, I'll just please. say a little bit yeah, about please. each one. Yeah, um, sure. So the first one is um, is civility, and that that really is about recognizing the God given dignity of those with whom you disagree, and and committing to to treat others with respect, uh, no matter. how how ardently you disagree with them. Um, The second is clarity, and that involves, you know, rooting your own political viewpoints in the gospel and in a well-formed conscience and and standing up for your convictions, but doing so in a way that you're also seeking to understand others' experiences and try and work to see where you may have common values that you can build upon for that engagement. Um, Clarity also includes a component of, um, you know, not being afraid to, to speak up in an invitation Way when when you do hear language used that disparages others' dignity, um, and then finally the third piece of that is compassion, and, and that's about c- encountering others in a way that um, you know again affirms their God-given dignity and presumes their best intentions, instead of jumping to the conclusion of kind of yeah. why someone's making that you know point or um, engaging the way they are, um, and then li- you know trying to listen with empathy, um, really trying to understand where they're coming from. Um, so so, you know, we find that, you know, if, if we can kind of put those out there and, and invite people to engage in a way that commits to all three of those, that can, um, you know, provide a framework for people to, to come together and have conversations in a, in a different way than may otherwise be possible.
2: I think I read somewhere that this was modeled after something in, in, in Ohio and in Cincinnati. Is that, is that right?
3: That's right. Yeah. So the last couple of election, presidential election cycles, um, the archdiocese of Cincinnati under Archbishop Schnur um, did this. This campaign by the very same name, Civilize It: Dignity Beyond the Debate, and um, it, it received a lot of attention. It was really a wonderful effort to, um, you know, to call Catholics to love and respect others in the in the model of Jesus. And so we we thought, wow, this is this yeah. is great. We connected with the folks in the Archdiocese and said, hey, how would you feel about you know us inviting um, individuals to to in, in institutions to be part of this nationally? Um, they were very excited by that. So we we have. collaborating with them um, since the start and um, you know have actually utilized and expanded upon many of the wonderful materials they they originally put together. If
2: people want to find out more about it how do they do that?
3: Sure they can go to civilizeit.org um, that uh, website has the pledge right on the front there as well as links to other materials. We have items like an examination of conscience, a bulletin mm-hmm. insert, um, a pastoral aid, um, you know, uh, reflections that really are, are applicable for individual use, for family use, for parishes, schools, and other institutions. Um, we're trying to, to really just resource that so that so that folks can, um, can really do some, some Good reflection on, on how this um, this call to civility applies to them, and then and then can really act in ways that can um, model that and invite others to do the same.
1: After speaking with the USCCB's Jill Rao, Bob Gilligan visited with State Representative Lashawn Ford. They discussed a bill that would limit the use of solitary confinement in state prisons.
2: We are really lucky this morning. We are joined um, in studio with us is the state rep. Uh, He is from the west side of Chicago. And I think you have, do you have Oak Park? I do. You do have Oak Park. Well, that kind of area. State
5: Representative LaShawn Ford. Representative Ford, thanks for coming in. Thank you for having me. It's amazing to see you in this uh, capacity. I always (laughs) see you fighting for... The principals of the church in Springfield. Yeah, so it's we do good it all. to see you. Right.
2: We do it all. Yeah. yeah this is this is this is actually easier. Uh, it's a lot easier. Yeah. yeah. You got one exactly, to deal with right, not hundred and whatever <laughs> right. there is. Yeah. Um, you have been um, in your...
5: How long have you been in... now? <laughs> you know, in January, it will it be 14 years. Wow, you're counting by twos. Yes, <laughs> that's right. Right. Four- you've been there 14 years. 14 years. That's hard Almost to believe. Almost seven times, oh, wow. yeah. Actually,
2: I remember when you came. That, that's yeah. a, I, I came right before you. I had hair. Yeah, I, mean, I did no too. No gray. I did too. <laughs> I did too. Um, so you've been around a while. You kind of know the ropes a little bit now, as much as anybody yeah. can about what happens yeah. down there. And uh, you've been pretty outspoken in, in your career about... Uh, Criminal justice reform and what happens to people when they're incarcerated and and trying to help those who want to help themselves get out and get onto the straight path. I know you've had a couple uh, issues like that in your career here, but this is a little this is a little different. It fits into that genre, but um, it talks about what is it House Bill 182. I think what we're trying to do is prohibit something. I think that most people know about solitary confinement, right? And I think to the average person out there, they probably think, well, yeah, you know, bad guy did something wrong, probably dangerous what is it? Put them in uh, In a hole. Yeah. Put them in the hole, throw away the key, let them sit there. But that's got some problems with that. Tell me what, what, what you're trying to do and how did you get involved with this issue? per se?
5: Well, first I want to say it is a true honor to be on the Catholic radio. And so I really, really appreciate the opportunity to be on the, um, Catholic radio as a Catholic. And I know that the church and I, have had our um, disagreements on policy in (laughs) Springfield, and it's good that uh, we could put those aside and talk about things that I believe that is important for pro-life issues, like House Bill 182. And um, this bill came to me from Uptown Law. Uh, Uptown Law, Alan Mills and his organization over there, they're just, um, I think that they're thorough and that they are relentless and they're working very hard um, bringing the people to, together around this issue that have experienced it. And yeah. that's critical when you have issues that's in Springfield and you don't have people that have lived experiences advocating for it. It's very difficult. Sure. But Alan Mills, he's brought people that have lived experiences to Springfield to talk about the challenges of um what solitary confinement is. Why should we eliminate solitary confinement? It's inhumane. Um, you know, there was a story that the Tribune did um, in 2019 about a guy named um, Anthony, um, Anthony uh, Gay. He, he was in solitary confinement um, for... He went to jail just for a... a he got convicted of a robbery and a bra with a teenager and, and he took someone's cap, but he ended up being in solitary confinement for years. And he would talk about how it just deteriorated him mentally. And he would have to do things to himself to self mutilate just so that he could get some physical touch and to be around human beings. And, um, I've heard stories at Uptown Law about people being in rooms with mm-hmm. no windows. Right. That's what the size are. of a bathroom. Right. And that's inhumane. And and you ask the question, why is it bad? The the biggest question. I mean, the biggest answer to that is not only is it inhumane, but those people that's in solitary confinement, they're going to come home and they're going to be our brothers and sisters and our neighbors. Right. And so we still have to deal with the consequences of treating them and deteriorating them mentally.
2: I think some other states have uh, recently or they are considering eliminating solitary confinement. I think New York may be one of them. And this this is kind of a national trend now as we... Learn from people who have been in solitary and their experiences, and as you indicated, they get out, and the harm, it's, it's done to their, not, not even their, so much their physical uh, capacity to thrive, but it's, it's that emotional and, and, and psychological damage that's done. And if, and if our prisons are to serve two functions, to punish, of course, and secondly, to rehabilitate There's no rehabilitation in somebody that's on solitary confinement.
5: There's not. I mean, I think that you're absolutely right. We have to serve two um, functions. We have to make sure that people are punished for the crimes that they've done in society. But we also have the uh, responsibility of rehabilitating them. That's why it's called the Department of Corrections. Right. Because we have to deal with it. We don't want them coming back. And if we don't. Um, help them during the process, and and then I think that we're going to be faced with recidivism and the people are going to continue to create havoc in our streets. So it's our job to have a restorative type um, program. Right, right. I I think this bill also,
2: I think what they do is it it, it, it does two things. My my recollection is that it prohibits um, being in solitary for more than 10 consecutive days and then no more than ten days in a hundred and eighty day time frame, and I think what we have anecdotal information that indicates in our conversations with the Department of Corrections is sometimes they use this as kind of like a punishment almost that, and then, and it deprives them from you know interaction with other inmates and uh, meal time things like that, and so that's not the intended purpose that shouldn't be.
5: It's not, but yeah. you know what, and that's the way it's used. I don't think that any correctional institution should treat people inhumanely. Yeah. and that's what it's doing. it takes them away from the yard Anytime someone is in solitary confinement for 23 years can you imagine that, That's pretty sad yeah
2: yeah so you've talked to these people you've experienced you've had that I mean what how does somebody who's been in solitary for that length of time how do, how do you recover from that? <coughs> I mean I don't well I, I don't think I could
5: the, you know the people that I talk to from uptown law they say they will never be the same. Yeah, that their exactly. lives are destroyed and sometimes they just cry okay. and they have to constantly seek help
3: Yeah.
5: and they don't trust themselves. Yeah, And so we have to help them.
2: How is your, um, I, I know there's, you know, there's a lot of bills out there um, and and this bill has been out there for a while and it takes a little bit of time, I think, to to build uh, support for something like this. But is there any, um, is there any hope in terms of conversations with your colleagues and how that's going or is it are we just still on the education aspect of this?
5: I think there's more hope because recently um, Oprah Winfrey, President Obama, they all came out against solitary confinement. Oh, so that. that's a national move um, and when we have people like President Obama and Oprah Winfrey saying that this is inhumane and that yeah. you know we can no longer do this to individuals, I think that helps move move the needle. But I think that we have done a great deal with you legis- um, down in Springfield and Uptown Law and other people that believe in making sure that people are treated hum- humanely, yeah. keeping it on the forefront of the Department of Corrections, knowing, letting them know that we recognize that change mm. is necessary. Yeah.
2: And and you've talked to the department, I assume, about this and, and so far. I, I, it sounds to me like they want to keep it.
5: They do. They want to keep it. They believe that it's safer for the, uh, guards. Mm-hmm. They believe that the people that they put in segregation now, they say that we no longer have solitary confinement, we have segregation. segregation I heard that right. But we yeah. do have solitary confinement, whether you want to change the name and have some synonym, it's solitary confinement where people don't have interactions mm-hmm. with, in the, with others. And there are some people that also say that people that feel threatened by their peers in jail want to be in solitary confinement or segregation because they ah. fear for their life. Ah. So what we have to do is make sure that the um, prisons, no matter what a person has done, that the prisons are safe and that people are being rehabilitated. So they would say that if there are game fights, mm-hmm. a person will do something just to be thrown in solitary confinement to protect himself from, Oh, you from, know them aggressive. Yes, wow.
2: Is there? Um, uh, uh, do they use this in every prison in Illinois? Do, do you know? Is this standard procedure, or is it just in some of them? Or uh, no, they
5: it... have them in in all prisons. Really? Yeah. Okay. That you okay. uh, and you know, here's one of the things that we have uh, opposition is with the unions. Uh-huh. Ask me. Yeah. Ask me as um, opposed so... because they have to protect the safety of the guards. Okay. That's the union that they're in. And so, um, until the governor and the department figure out ways to make our prisons safe um, from any type of violence from um, people, and put them in situations—I mean, you can put people in a single cell with a window. Yeah, you right. could put people in a situation where they could They're still interact. Get out.
2: Yes, so and they could have some interaction. Yeah, with somebody in a cell across the way.
5: This guy that they interviewed, the Tribune interviewed Anthony Gay, he said that he would just mutilate himself just so that he could go and sit with a nurse so that he could get some contact. physical contact. Really? Yes. Wow. And and just to have some touch and conversation yeah. with her yeah. made him feel better and made him feel human. You're not advocating that these individuals <clears throat> be
2: free to roam if there, are, if there are people in jail that are, dangerous we all know that and and we recognize that and we're not advocating that they endanger other people but that doesn't require them to be put in solitary like you said in a place where there's no windows it's dark all alone there's other ways to to make sure that they are not harming others yet at the same time um still maintaining their human dignity that's kind of that's exactly right right and and
5: what whether we're pass whether the bill passes now the conversation is going, and That's we're right. going to get there because yeah. there are yeah. changes. And, and the department recognized that people like Uptown Law, Alan Mills, and the Catholic Church and me, we're all wanting humane treatment for people no matter where they're at. One of my favorite quotes by the Pope was that we cannot have a throwaway society. Right, exactly. Well, you know...
2: This is what that says. That's it. That's a... That, you yeah. know, it was in the context of a different context, but but he did say that to apply to different situations, yeah. and that's exactly what he was saying. That's very true. Um, so, where do we go from here? Uh, the bill's out there. It had a public hearing, I think, at some point in time. But I guess, yeah, it's in rooms, so and, yeah.
5: and we made the Request for this bill to be out of rules okay, for good. the January session, oh, and good. the conversation continues. And um, everyone, and you know that you have legislation. And things improve just from having the discussion. Absolutely,
2: this is this is one of those topics. <clears throat> yes, it's gonna. It's not gonna happen tomorrow. Right. It's gonna take some time. But I think with a general education campaign, you're right. More talking about it, the more people are exposed to just what happens in solitary, mm-hmm. it'll make them more uncomfortable. And I think that eventually, perhaps the governor's office will move, and we can satisfy maybe some of Asami's concerns.
5: Yeah, <laughs> and for the Catholic Radio and all your listeners, I just want to say this is a real. Pro-life issue, yeah, and I really appreciate the I, opportunity to speak on it.
2: Yeah, it, it really addresses, uh, y- you know, it. I, I, we have a whole uh, group of people that are involved in prison ministry, and I got to tell you, <laughs> I could, I can't do what they do. They go into the jails, they talk to these people, they're their friends, they help them, mm-hmm. and boy, that is really a unique person. No, Bob, you could today. do it.
5: You, it's you, you. I mean, tough. you do it all the time. Yeah, I, think yeah, that, yeah. I think that I think that you just worried that real. they might just keep you it, it there, you, right? Exactly.
2: <laughs> But it's a tough ministry, and these people are—God bless them, because uh, they're wonderful people. They're strong advocates for those who are incarcerated, Mm -hmm. and and they—you know, it's one of the Beatitudes, right? Yes. Visiting the printer. Those who are in prison.
1: We thank State Representative LaShawn Ford for stopping by our studio. Stick around. In a moment, we'll take a look at the First Look for Charity, back after a short break.
6: Catholic charities invites you to a fabulous evening for a great cause on friday february 7th at the 2020 first look for charity this black tie event features live music gourmet food cocktails and an all-access exclusive preview of the chicago auto show the largest in the nation car enthusiasts also get a chance to win a new ford explorer just by attending Join us for this night of elegance and fun. Catholic Charities is one of 18 nonprofit organizations that benefit from the proceeds of First Look for Charity. When you purchase tickets and select Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Chicago as your charity of choice, you'll be supporting programs that provide critical help to people in need. That's First Look for Charity on February 7th. For more information, call 312-948-6797 or visit catholiccharities.net. That's 312-948-6797 or visit catholiccharities.net.
1: Welcome back to Catholic Chicago Week in Review on Relevant Radio 950 and 930 AM. I'm Jim Dish of the Archdiocese of Chicago's radio TV office with highlights of local Catholic radio programs that can be heard Monday through Friday from 8 to 9 in the morning on 750 AM. Catholic Charities is one of the 18 nonprofit organizations that will share the proceeds of the 2020 First Look for Charity. Voice of Charity co-hosts Marie Jochum and Michael Baer and their guests discussed how Catholic Charities benefits from the elegant preview night at the Chicago Auto Show.
7: Good morning and welcome back to the Voice of Charity. This is Marie Jocum.
6: And Michael Baer.
7: And we're here with Kathy Herrera and Annie Scully Tumpus talking about um, our parenting post adoption pregnancy parenting and adoption services at Catholic Charities, along with our first look for charity event.
6: While we go to Annie a little bit here and talk about uh, the first look for charity event, she is managing that event this year. Why don't you tell us a little bit um, about this program? Um Give us some more of the specifics. I was at it last year, so I know it's awesome. So I could say a lot, but we'll let Annie do a little bit of the talking on that.
4: Right. It's really a spectacular night. Uh, the First Look for Charity Auto Show has been hosted uh, since 1992, by the Chicago Mo- Automobile Trade Association, and it's raised 50 million dollars in that time for local charities. So just um, a little bit. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> a little bit, a lot to all of all of these charities that have been fortunate to participate, um, and it's just a, a beautiful cause to you know hold up these charities on this special night. Um, There will be thousands of people. There will be thousands of cars. It is a spectacular black tie opener for what's the largest auto show in the nation. And Catholic Charities is is so honored to participate. We host a reception especially for our supporters uh, before the show floor officially opens.
6: And so what are some differences specifically to this year compared to last year's events. There's some new things or different things, I'm sure.
4: Right. We are very grateful for the sponsorship of Celebrity Cruises. They're bringing some of their uh, luxury cruise experience to our reception. Um, And so our reception theme is aptly named All Aboard, which is a nod to the many people that are involved in uh, pregnancy, parenting support services, um, as well as the great support of uh, celebrity Cruises. Uh, we have a spectacular raffle. We even have a baby car, a oh, mini ride perfect. on Tesla. <laughs> yeah. so, uh, I had no idea. Now so I love it even more. <laughs> yes, do you come for that. Perhaps surprise your baby with it at home. Uh, we're going to be right on the first floor, so it is a quick trip up to the show floor. Um, and everybody gets to participate in a raffle for a 2020 Ford Explorer.
6: Are there any other differences this year in the event compared to last year? I remember last year when I was there because I was there taking some pictures um, in our uh, designated room and out on the floor of the event, and um, it's a little bit of a labyrinth to try and figure out and I'm going up this escalator, and then I'm going down this hallway, and then I'm going up another escalator. So is, is it like that this year? Right,
4: right. No, it's not. Ah, you know, the, the show is so huge that it does have to be at McCormick Place. But yeah. fortunately, uh, this year's Catholic Charities reception is located right on the first floor. You'll get your will-call tickets. You'll head right down the hallway, and you'll be at a Catholic Charities reception with hors d'oeuvres and carving stations and champagne and... Um, so many things that really kick off a spectacular night for anybody, not just auto buffs.
6: Yeah. So is it a like an abbreviated car show? I know you mentioned that there were a lot of cars, uh, but is it? A smaller version than what people are going to see a day later when the car show starts? Or is it everything is there?
4: It is everything. It's all the major franchises with their spectacular displays. And there are thousands of less people than the general admission auto show. The only difference is everybody is all dressed up. There is food. There are drinks. It's going to be a spectacular night for anybody who just likes to have a nice night out.
6: Yeah, one of the fun things from being there last year that I noticed is that a lot of the ladies take off their heels and they're handing out uh, soft slippers That's right. at a lot of the different uh, stations. So if, if you want a pair of sweet Cadillac slippers, you <laughs> want to make sure right. that you get tickets. You'll head there first. Yeah, head <laughs> that's there first. right.
4: There's a lot of ground to tread, but, you know, it, with those slippers and the live music that's playing throughout the show floor and even in our suite, uh, we have the Vandercook College of Music jazz band providing certain our musical entertainment. Um, It's just a fun night. It's going to be great.
7: I I think one of the things that I hope we've made clear with this conversation is that in order for Kathy to do and her team to do all of the amazing work that she does, Annie and her team are crucial to this, right? So it's a partnership within Catholic Charities and um, folks can join in the good work of Kathy and her team by coming to First Look for Charity. Uh, But in addition to um, the services Kathy provides, this event also helps support our Neighbors in Need Fund, which is a very, very crucial fund um, at Catholic Charities. Annie, can you share with us a little bit about what that fund is?
4: Right, the Neighbors in Need Fund was established in 2008, um, right at the peak of the recession. Uh, Catholic Charities needed the flexibility to help with all of these, you know, sudden unexpected needs, uh, especially now in wintertime that we don't know what to expect with the weather and we don't know what to expect with um, everything going on in the city and um, in the surrounding area. We need the flexibility to to go out to help those who can't leave their homes, who are coming to us, um, to kind of respond in real time to what's happening. So, Um, In addition to um, all the support that this event provides to pregnancy, parenting, and post-adoption services, um, it also funds this, this special need to be flexible and be responsive.
7: And I think that it's so important. We were talking about this a little bit before the show. It's so important for our social workers and our team on the ground to be able to respond to needs that maybe don't fit perfectly into a programmatic box. And that's what this fund really helps us do. Um, you can donate to this fund, not just through coming to First Look for charity, but we'd love to have you there at that this event as well. But just wanted to sort of highlight that we want to be as responsive as possible to people's needs, um, just just like. Kathy and her team are.
6: So do you have a, a fun first look story that you'd like to share? Annie? Oh,
4: well, my favorite <laughs> first look story was a couple years ago. Um, and I, uh, I've i been attending first look and helping with the, the planning for a few years now, um, as has my husband, who was then my boyfriend and chose to that night with all of the excitement and all of the spectacular cars and action and um and him in his tuxedo and me in my gown to propose to me and <laughs> so we just got married this past year but that will always be a special night for us because of the great work that it does and because of how special it is in our history as a family. So
6: it sounds like you're, what you're doing is you're guaranteeing that if you want an engagement to happen, you should come to First Look for Charity events. Absolutely. not a terrible place to do <laughs> it. <Okay>. Yeah, <laughs> that's, I want to make sure I heard you correctly. You were correct.
7: Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Babies, cars, and engagements all happen.
6: put that on the event. If
4: you want display. a positive <laughs> answer, that's a good way to do it. <laughs>
7: We love that. Kathy, um, as we kind of wrap up our show here today, do you have maybe another story about a client that you'd like to share with us or a worker that you have that stands out and through all of your years, you know, post-adoption, pregnancy, all of that?
8: Well, a number of years ago, um, before I was program director and before we had bilingual pregnancy counselors, um, when we had clients who needed a Spanish-speaking worker, I got to work directly with the clients. And I can remember um, a call had come in, and I wasn't in the office when the call came in, and um, my then director at the time prepare me she said you know I want you to go out and meet with this young woman it really it sounds like you might have to take her to the hospital it sounds like she might be seriously depressed um, on, on the hotline call she just said I, I don't know what to do I can't take it anymore I, I'm so overwhelmed um, and and what it really was was another case where it was a young woman who was really isolated she had um, you know, her identity really had been in working a couple of jobs and sending money home for her, to her family. Um, and suddenly, she had a very difficult pregnancy, was on bed rest, wasn't able to send money home from her f- to her family, and didn't have anyone really yeah. that she could talk with about how overwhelmed she felt. And so, it was really an honor to be able to meet with her each week and to be able to reassure her yeah. um, that you know, that she was going to be okay, that she was doing all that she could for her baby, you know, that what she was doing was really important, um, and to help her be ready to be a new mom.
7: That's beautiful, and I think that highlights so well what it is that we do at Catholic Charities together. If you're interested in buying tickets and attending the reception at First Look for Charity, please um, contact us at 312-948-6797 or visit catholiccharities.net.
1: All the information for First Look of Charity can be found on the Catholic Charities website, catholiccharities.net. Next up, Focus on the Liturgy. Co-hosts Timothy Johnson and Todd Williamson explore the introductory rites of the Catholic Mass. Let's listen in.
9: Just some background for the listeners. We are uh, we are in Ordinary Time, uh, just a couple weeks into it, uh, after the Christmas season, and uh, it's a it's, uh, it's it's not terribly short it's not terribly long this year before the start of of lent and uh uh actually in uh our office Timothy we're getting ready we're already into lent oh, uh, sure. we're, we're already working with the rites of election and scheduling those sure. and working with the parishes for for those that's where the uh the those who are unbaptized and who are seeking baptism this easter mm-hmm. they come down to the cathedral later in lent we'll talk, probably touch on on that as one of the topics. But in any case, a deacon emailed me about the uh, rights of election, and he said, oh, by the way, uh, listen to the show, like the show, he said, and he suggested that, uh, so Mike, if you're listening, this is all for you, this is all because (laughs) of you, that um, we do uh, a couple, uh, some of our, pepper our our shows, breaking open various parts of the mass, which we have not done in in an awful long time. But uh, most most places, I, I I'm not sure if you do this, but whenever I present on the mass or I I hear people present on the mass, they most often break it up into four parts.
10: Yeah, I mean, I think that makes the most sense. Um, it's an easy way, and easy chunks to kind of uh, get get at the heart of the matter. And so you have the introductory rites, the liturgy of the word the liturgy of the Eucharist and the concluding rites um, to kind of break that up. And, of course, the two primary points, the liturgy of the word and liturgy of the Eucharist, which maybe most people are are familiar of uh, talking about that. We don't maybe always listen or list uh, introductory or concluding rites uh, in that.
9: But those two... Um, main parts, the the two sides of one coin, uh, as one of the documents talk about, mm-hmm. uh, the liturgy of the word and liturgy of the Eucharist. They don't just begin, they don't just happen, right? I mean, there 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 are are uh, rites that that kind of transition us into those two liturgies, and there is a right that transitions us out of.
10: Well, is is it Karl Rahner that talks about the liturgy of the world? Um, yes, I think. Yes. and so yeah, that concluding rites sends us into the liturgy of the world, if you will. Yeah, I, I, I actually really like that image.
9: Yeah, I do too. Uh, and so the the in you you could talk about those introductory rites uh, and and the concluding rites, in and of themselves,
10: mm-hmm, for sure.
9: You know, separate in one sense from uh, looking at the liturgy of the Word and the liturgy of the Eucharist.
10: And, and one of my uh, liturgy professors at St. John's um, often said that in the Reformed uh, part of— uh, or in the Reformed liturgy at the with the Council, that the introductory rites are jam-packed with, with things. Oh, yeah. Not just words, but there's a lot going on theologically and what, what it's doing, as you said, to kind of prepare us to hear the Word of God.
9: And to then, from there— be taken to the Eucharistic yeah. altar for the the celebration of the the Eucharist yeah. uh, and maybe just to say though we may talk about these four parts, they are none of, not, none of them are standalone right. all of them all four parts are an intricate whole in the celebration right. of the mass you can't you, you, you cannot in one way you cannot separate any of the four.
10: Right, you can't just start uh, with the preparation of the gifts and then go into the Eucharistic prayer. <laughs> yeah, right. Because it, yeah, you've not, you've not prepared yourself even for that part of the liturgy. It is, a, it's a rite. I mean, a, a complete from beginning to end. And some liturgical theologians even talk about, you know, um, and I kind of like this that that the introductory rites or the gathering rites, as some would call it, begin when you wake up in the morning as you begin to prepare your own heart and mind, as you begin to journey towards um, the, the church, parish church. Yeah
9: yeah and everything that 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 goes into that um there there are there are many people for whom that is their own ritual right mm-hmm. in on a sunday morning or a late saturday afternoon sure uh that is part of their preparation and travel too and yet there are others for whom every week is just chaotic and different <laughs> and there's no ritual to it at all no rhyme no reason uh but even that is Part of the, yeah. you know, what what will bring us to the door of the church and into the liturgy itself. So, and so, uh, Timothy and I decided that we would um, do, uh, we would we would take the the first of those four topics uh, for the show. Now, we're not going to be able to go in chronological order because, we're, you know, even this series on the mass will be interrupted by. Uh, some other things that might take precedence. For example, next month we uh, air our show on Ash Wednesday. Well, yeah. you can't, you can't, <laughs> you can't not talk about Ash Wednesday in the season of Lent if we're airing on Ash Wednesday morning. Right. So it'll be interrupted with uh, some of the seasonal things. But um, but in the, in the course of this new year, we yeah. will address the four main parts. Of the Eucharistic liturgy,
10: and it just means you have to keep coming back to listen to see when we're going to do it. <laughs> exactly, exactly.
9: And and so, uh, most most fittingly, obviously, you begin at the very beginning, a very good place to start, <laughs> as, as a popular song tells us. And we're going to spend the rest of our show today talking about the introductory rites, I, or the mm-hmm. gathering rites. Now, the I, I like how you 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 mentioned that earlier. Some call it the gathering right, gathering rites, which is. Uh, apropos because so much of what we do in the introductory rites is all about that, gathering us. But the formal right, the right. formal term found in the Roman Missal is the, the introductory, introductory rite. rites. Yeah. So
10: Yeah, and so in in a way in some ways I was just thinking as you were saying that we could almost as a prelude to what we do in the ritual as the introductory rites, that gathering rite, if you will, happens when we walk in, there's hospitality ministers, which you know, in in a sense it's the non- Official liturgical piece, but those when we meet friends and family in the narthex and we're we're greeting each other and asking how you know someone's mother is doing or you know if somebody's been sick in the parish, we we are talking about that. But it is there's something about uh, that gathering, even if we have kids at home, you know, we're gathering our belongings and our things and trying to get out the door, as you were saying, in that chaotic moment to get to the church, and then we cross that threshold um, and and we begin. And And we begin the liturgy, um, well, I don't know if we want to jump to that yet, but um, what with that musical piece, that gathering song that entrance hymn um, is that that very first moment in the liturgical act, when the liturgy begins itself, that brings us into one heart and mind, it gathers us in one voice yeah. um, and and you know, from all the different walks of life and perspectives and experiences we had in that morning, that week, that day, um, whatever it might be and tries to, to unite us and in, in the body.
9: Well, I think let, we need to spend some time on sure. just on that whole aspect of gathering, because I think that's a, an important part that, that many of us miss in terms of, um, coming together for liturgical
1: prayer. Thanks to Tim and Tad for their thoughts. Stick around now for a very interesting conversation about vocations. Back after a short break. Catholic Charities
6: invites you to a fabulous evening for a great cause on Friday, February 7th at the 2020 First Look for Charity. This black tie event features live music, gourmet food, cocktails, and an all-access exclusive preview of the Chicago Auto Show, the largest in the nation. Our enthusiasts also get a chance to win a new Ford Explorer just by attending. Join us for this night of elegance and fun. Catholic Charities is one of 18 nonprofit organizations that benefit from the proceeds of First Look for Charity. When you purchase tickets and select Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Chicago as your charity of choice, you'll be supporting programs that provide critical help to people in need. That's First Look for Charity on February 7th. For more information, call 312-948-6797 or visit catholiccharities.net. That's 312-948-6797 or visit catholiccharities.net.
1: Welcome back to Catholic Chicago Week in Review, where you can hear highlights of local Catholic radio programs that can be enjoyed Monday through Friday from 8 to 9 in the morning on 750 a.m. This past week, Catholic Chicago host Mark Teresi visited with Patrice Tui and Phil Loftus about their efforts to promote vocations. But Mark kicked off his program with a tribute to a very special person.
11: This is Mark Teresi. I am filling in for Father Greg Sackalitz. If you remember last week I had asked you to keep his mother in prayer? She was dying, and uh, actually the funeral for Damacyla, Sackowitz, D. Sackowitz, we all know her by, uh, was last Tuesday at the Holy Name Cathedral. Beautiful, beautiful remembrance for her. Our condolences to Father Greg and to his sisters, Maria and Pam, and his brother, Adrian. Just a beautiful, beautiful tribute. She was a great lady, 97 years old. And really, if you know Father Greg or you know Maria or you know Pam or you know Adrian, you know the impact. She had in their lives teaching them how to care for people, and she did that as a single mother for many years. Um, Great lady. So, Father Greg, if you're listening, I hope you're resting. But if you're listening, our prayers are going out to you today. And today, our program we are going to talk about in light of the World Day of Prayer for Consecrated Life, which is February 1st and 2nd. We're going to talk about vocations, we'll explore. During the full hour today, we'll explore the efforts to promote, nourish, and grow religious vocations throughout the United States. Both of our guests are in studio this morning. We're happy to have uh, Phil Law. I'll start with women. Patrice Tui, who is the publisher of Vision um, Magazine uh, and um, TrueQuest Communications. She's one of the innovators, kind of one of the pioneers in terms of trying to take this vocation message and bring it to a broader public through technology, through through current technologies. And Phil Loftus, who is executive director of NFCRV, the National Fund for Catholic Religious Vocations, and the, and he's development person for the National Religious Vocations Conference. So welcome to both of you to the studio today. And maybe what I'd like to do is ask each of you, Patrice um, and Phil. Why vocations? What what, what what attracted you to this? And give people a little bit of your background, too.
12: So, um, well, first of all, I want to uh, extend my condolences to Father Greg. Um, I worked with him years ago at Mercy at the Shutting oh. Masses. And to talk about someone who's got just an exemplary vocation, he really is an inspiration to to uh, uh, young people in terms of the joy Um, the joy-filled life that uh, religious life and diocesan priesthood can be so um, but how I got involved I worked for um, I'm in publishing that was my first love and I started working for U.S. Catholic Magazine worked with the Claritians years ago and started doing vocation work for the Claritians and um, and that's that was my entree into the world of religious life and religious vocations. And then eventually started working for, um, I started my own publishing company, but pri- primarily Catholic um, publishing. And the NRVC, the National Religious Vocation Conference, hired me to publish their vision magazine, which is a vocation guide for people discerning religious vocation.
11: Great. And I know trees very well. And, you know, you keep pushing the envelope in in terms of getting into the worlds of younger folks, considering vocations and making sure we're speaking their language in terms of the church. So that's great. And Phil, what about you? Good morning. Good morning. I also
0: uh, want to extend my condolences to Father Greg, a good friend of my wife, Lori, and I uh, was our Former pastor at Saint Mary of the Woods, Maria Choir Director, uh, great family. So, what a beautiful tribute to your mom, Father Greg. Uh, it was wonderful to see all those brother priests on the altar. Um, and condolences to to Pam, Maria, and Adrian as well. Um, so, my background—I've uh, known both Mark and Patrice for a long time. But my background really is in consumer marketing, um, and. I had an opportunity to get exposed to the National Religious Vocation Conference through Patrice and her TrueQuest communications firm, um, and in doing so really uh, was uh, aware of some of the issues facing the Catholic Church, and I was happy to bring my marketing uh, skills to to the needs of the catholic Church and so that 's kind of how I landed where I am and here I am.
11: Tell them a little bit about the
0: the Milk Mustache, so yes. that, that's my claim to fame. I, I was involved in the Got Milk campaign for a number of years, um, leading the, the marketing team to do a lot of the in-store activation around that Milk Mustache campaign, so uh, it was a fun, fun
11: ride. Great. Now, so two very solid professionals involved in vocations, and uh, Pope Francis says everything starts with an encounter with the Lord. How do you portray to folks considering a vocation uh, that encounter? How, how do you communicate that message to folks?
12: Well, that's a tough question. Oh. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think the first thing is to just help young people understand that some of their experiences are, in fact, encounters with Christ. Often they feel um, a yearning, a deep, Dissatisfaction in a way with with some of their life choices, or or a confusion about what direction their life should take, and yet they'll go to mass, or they'll or they'll be working, um, doing volunteer work in the parish, and that's when they feel the most joy, mm-hmm. the most fulfilled, and that's we try to tap into that and say, listen to that voice, listen to that uh, to that feeling and experience you're having, that that. Could potentially be a call. That's something that's and that's where discernment comes in, which is um, one of the biggest uh, areas that we work with. Is just helping young people understand their own spirituality, their own sense of longing for something deeper, for something richer. And the more we can help them explore that, get them in touch with vocation directors or even spiritual directors, the better. The the better chance they have of really living that a uh, fulfilled life and p- potentially choosing a religious vocation.
11: And you're you're leading into the National Religious Vocation Conference. That's a group of folks that, in an organized way, support. Vocations, Phil. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Sure.
0: Sure. the uh, The NRVC is a professional organization of vocation directors, so we are uh, responsible for kind of organizing them in a cohesive manner, if you if you will. Um, All different sorts of um, institutes and lives, whether it's monastic or apostolic. Um, So. We have over a thousand members representing 350 institutes and collaborators across the United States. So this is. You know, I was taught by BVMs Mm -hmm. and the Christian Brothers. Uh, These are all of these organized religions, as well as diocesan vocation offices that are members. So uh, we like to say at the office downtown or at CTU campus that we're a thriving organization because we really represent um, the best and brightest of what's happening in the vocation world today. Uh, And we're, we're
11: thrilled to have that many members. And maybe either of you, from a professional marketing perspective, what do we need to be doing as a church to make sure the message gets out there? That's a great question. Um,
0: You know, just building on what Patrice had talked about earlier, I think all of us are called to a vocation through our baptism. And I think if people pause on that, um, it's important So whether it is to consecrated life, to married life, to single life, we're all called to a vocation. And I think part of what the world today, with all of the technology and the messages that are going on, um, people don't take time to just stop and listen, really to put down things and, and listen and pause. And silence is a good thing because in silence we can hear many things that can help us.
11: Patrice, what can the church do from your perspective in terms of fostering vocations?
12: Yeah, I just to um, dovetail on what Phil said. I think the the biggest thing we can do is in, to invite young people to consider a religious vocation or a vocation to diocesan priesthood certainly. Um, that uh, and that's not and that's everybody across the board. Uh, we are all vocation directors to to coin something Mark Tracy said once. <laughs> um, and and it's true. Each, Every family member, every teacher, uh, uh, the music director at the parish, anybody who spots somebody who they think might just have that spark, or, uh, they shouldn't take, take the risk of inviting them. Uh, the person can always say no, but it plants the seed that makes them see their life in a different way than just on a track to, you know, following their Mom or dad's footsteps and be a doctor, a lawyer, whatever. Um, Not that you can't do that and also be a a sister, brother, priest. But um, so I, I would say that was is one of the biggest things is to invite and then as as Phil said is to really give people young people the opportunity to discern to to think about their life choices i we do not do that enough as phil said earlier we we need people need to stop and listen and i and that's what concerns me is that we we push our our kids to just be on a track at a very early age without letting them know there's a lot of options out there
11: and the listening's kind of counter cultural Yes. I, I read a study once where they said kids are burned out by third grade with yeah, exactly. all of their involvements mm-hmm. and stuff. Um, let's keep going on this. So, you know, what I hear every once in a while, even though I don't believe it because I'm more involved, but, well, there are no vocations. You know, everything's dying off. The church is in a desperate peril. Um, I, I've met young people, worked with young people who have a fervor for the church and their vocation? Where, what is any stats on where we are as a church?
0: Yeah, we we are getting new entrants. In 2018, we had 440 entrants into religious institutes, and that comprised 177 different religious institutes. So it's not all Jesuits or Dominicans; it's across the board. That's so. not
11: diocesan, then. Correct. Okay.
0: Correct. Keep going. Go ahead. Um, So I think it's important to realize people are still being called. People will always be called. The church is not dying out. That's the other thing. We can say half full, half empty. We Mm -hmm. are very full. The love of God is broad, Mm -hmm. right? We Mm -hmm. all know that. And Mm -hmm. the church ebbs and flows. Look back into history. It ebbs and flows. You can consider what this is. I just think it's a changing environment. Um, And I think people are distracted, you know, with everything that's going on in the world. There's a lot of distraction, you know, there's a lot of chaos, if you will, but you have to carve out the time to listen to the Lord and to, to feel
11: the Lord's presence. And trust your instincts also in terms of that invitation to someone, considering you're not asking them to give up their life. Not you're at all. A- you're asking them to really respond to that encounter with the Lord, and is the Lord leading them to more a different, a a committed, an ordained or a vowed commitment.
0: Exactly. And one of the things, Mark, that I tell all of the vocation directors when we do training at Summer Institute is that professionally, religious people are one of the happiest professions, Mm -hmm. if you will, in the world. And you have so many young people that are dissatisfied with their professional life. And why is that? Because they may have chosen the wrong thing. It's not too late to change. Lots of vocations come from people who have left college, have experienced the workforce, yeah. and then go into. It's a later vocation, but they go into and find the joy of consecrated religious life. Right. Go ahead, yeah,
12: I, and I just want to add to that, um, so not only do we have people uh, entering a good number, and it's been steady since 2000. We did a study and say two- that
11: again, just so people hear that.
12: Yes, it has been steady. Mm-hmm. We that there was a decline in, from the 60s until. 2000 um, the 60s was the the absolute apex of of religious of, of men and women entering religious life and then there was a decline but since 2000 it has been steady there has been a steady number of people entering religious life each year so that's the good news number yeah, one yeah it is and then the other piece of good news that that um, through vision vocation guide which is the publication for discerners we track statistics on who's inquiring about religious life and we've been doing that since 2007. Um, We have a a program called a feature on our, our website called vocation match where a young or I mean anybody can go through the the match program they fill out information about themselves and then they are matched with communities that might be right for them.
1: That was a great conversation about vocations, and you can listen to that entire conversation and all our local Catholic radio programs live or at your convenience by going to radioTV.archChicago.org. That's radioTV.archChicago.org. Thanks for listening to us every Saturday morning here on Rollament Radio, 950 and 930 a.m. I'm Jim Dish for Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Have a great weekend, everyone.
0: Join us every Saturday morning for Catholic Chicago Week in Review. You can stream our programs live or listen to past programs by visiting our website, archchicago.org, and clicking on Radio TV. And please connect with Catholic Chicago on social media.